Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. about marriage. So why don't you turn to the person that's closest to you and tell them, take out your notes. Get ready to learn something. And my desire is that God would use me today to be able to maybe just cast away some negative myths that sometimes we've learned about marriage. Sometimes when we see a marriage failing, fortunately we have a lot of people not wanting to get married because they've seen a bad example. But like we've established since the beginning of this series, three weeks ago, we said the only way to build unsinkable relationships is if we do things God's way. So that's what I'm going to try to teach to the best of my ability today and be able to share what God says about how to build a healthy marriage. And as you guys know, in the world we live in today, families are crumbling. There's a lot of marriages that are falling apart. You guys know the statistics, 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and that's old news. And now, I think things have been getting a little better, but not because marriages are doing better. It's just that people that used to get married, now they just decide not to get married. And the saddest part about this statistic is not the 50% that get divorced, but the other 50%, the fact that from the other half that are still married, they're not living in thriving marriages. A lot of them are just staying together and just weathering through the storm for the sake of the children. Some of them, for the sake of finances, they won't divorce because, you know, the whole financial aspect of a divorce is messy, it's ugly. And some people just, for convenience, they just decide to stay together. I've heard of marriages that stay together and they're, you know, they're, they're having sex all over the place and they're just, they just come home to the same roof. Uh, and it's just for convenience, it's just for the sake of the kids. But that's not what God wants. So what we're facing now is a family crisis. We have a family crisis here in the United States of America. 35% of all the kids are being raised in fatherless homes. If you're African-American, that number goes up to 67%. 67% of African-American kids are growing up in homes where there's no father. So the problem is this. You can't sustain a community or a nation where the men are nowhere to be found. When a father abandons his family, two things happen. Number one, a son learns that this option is available for him in the future. And the daughter learns to fear a similar desertion by a man that she marries later on in life. So this really affects not just the marriage that's being broken, but it devastates the kids and it affects them and marks them in a negative way. So if there's a weak male leadership in the home, we could then argue that the same will be the case in the church. I mean, if we don't have strong male leadership in families, then we're not going to have strong male leadership in church. We're not going to have strong male leadership in society. And let me throw a bomb at you right now from the start. Did you ever stop and consider why the devil never bothered Adam until Eve was created? Wow. The devil never messed with Adam and with God's creation until God created Eve. Satan knew that in order to shut down God's program for expanding his kingdom on earth, he would have to destroy the institution of that program, which is marriage, and which is the family. We've talked a little bit about this back and forth, that God, the first institution he ever created is what? Marriage. I mean, he created a lot of things. He created 
heavens and earth, he created you know, trees, he created all of creation, he created man. But the first institution, even before he created the church, was marriage. And we all said last week, and I asked you guys, and everything that God created is what? Good. God does not create crappy stuff. He creates good stuff. Now, he saw that Adam was alone, and he said, wait, I can make this better. It doesn't mean that Adam wasn't a good creation, but he saw that something was lacking. So he said, well, you know what? Let me make him a helper suitable to his needs. So like we said two weeks ago, that when God saw Adam, and you guys, for you guys that weren't here the past couple of weeks, you guys can go on the podcast, look for it as JTP Church, and you could hear everything we talked about with respect to the single people. But he said, let's create this being that's going to come from his rib, and she's going to be a helpmate, and it's going to be suitable to his specific needs. So I want you to tell the person, just as, as a mode of remembrance, God has a person specifically tailored to complement your needs. Uh-huh. And you've been created specifically tailored to complement her needs. You might not have found her or him yet, but it doesn't mean that God hasn't thought about you. Before he even created you, he already knew about your match. Amen? So this is, this is the kind of God that we serve. He said, you know, let me make somebody for Adam that's suitable to his needs. And he didn't just do that for Adam. He did it for all of us. I want to share with you about a quote that I read from Tony Evans. He said, for far too many people, the subject of marriage is a three-ring circus. First, there is the engagement ring, right? Next comes the wedding ring, and then there's the suffer ring. <laughs> One lady said that she got married because she was looking for the ideal, but it quickly turned into the ordeal, and now she wants a new deal. <laughs> One man said, he and his wife were happy for 20 years, and then they got married. So unfortunately, these are the type of things, you guys laugh, this is the type of things that we're seeing in our generation. Seeing a lot of people that think that everything is this one until you get married. I'm sure you guys have seen movies where there's a couple that they love each other and they're scared of getting married because of the fear of losing what they have in their courtship or in their, you know, whatever you call that relationship right now. So it's so important to pay attention to what God says. What I want to do today is examine the nature of the agreement. The agreement of marriage. Amen? That we make when we get married. And next week, with Carly, she'll be talking about more practical areas. We'll, we'll talk about finances and marriage. We'll talk about you know, a few other things that are more practical. But today, what I want to do is be able to look through the Word of God, what it means to get married. What's that agreement like? Amen? So bear with me, you guys. I'm going to put my teacher hat today a little bit. I heard a story about a little boy that lost one of his contact lenses once. He spent a significant amount of time trying to locate it, and he couldn't. So eventually he told his mom. The boy's mom began to look for the contact lens with him and found it in just a matter of minutes. And the boy said, how could you find that contact lens in just a few minutes when I have looked for over an hour? And the mom said, that's easy. You didn't find it because you were looking for a contact lens. I found it because I was looking for $150. So it all depends how you see things. The boy didn't care about how much it cost to order a new pair of contact lenses. The boy just wanted his contact lens back. But the mom said, man, this is $150. Bucks. I'm going to have to work. I don't even know. I don't have the money for it. I better find it. So the urgency led her to look stronger. Amen? So most people today view marriage as a means of looking for love, happiness, and fulfillment. 
We think that that's all that marriage is. Oh, I want to find love. I want to have fulfillment. I want to have happiness. And these things are important. How many say amen? Raise your hand if you want to be happy for the rest of your life. And they live happily ever after, right? We all long for that. But there are things that are more important and even critical. They just aren't the most important or the most critical. But because in society we've made the second things first, we're having trouble finding anything at all. So I want to start by establishing this. Number one, everybody say with me, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is something that God created, and it's a covenant. And we're going to be talking a little bit about what a covenant is. Marriage is a union designed to strengthen the capabilities of each partner to carry out the plan of God in their lives. And I'm going to say this again in case somebody wants to jot it down. I encourage you to do so because this is probably will just be able to clear up any type of cloud that you have with respect to what marriage is. This is marriage. It's not so that you could be happily ever after. That's just a consequence of being married if you do things the right way. But marriage is a union designed to strengthen the capabilities of each partner. When I got married with Carly, the purpose was that Carly, she's going to strengthen my capabilities and I'm going to strengthen her capabilities. For what reason? To carry out the plan of God in our lives. You see, if you don't even consider God's plan for your life, I mean... You're, not, you're missing the whole purpose of marriage. You don't have to say amen about that. <laughs> That's what marriage is. It's a union designed to strengthen the capabilities of each partner to carry out the plan of God in their life. So go with me to the book of Malachi. Enough talking. Let's go to the word of God. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And this is the second thing you do. You know, the first thing that he mentions, you could read it at home. It has nothing to do with marriage, but... Pick this because it has to do with marriage. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. How many times have we come to the altar of God, probably with tears because of situations that are out of control and saying, God, I need you to resolve this. I need you to help me in this. I need you to bless this. I need you to open this door. And, and, and God is telling these people, look, you guys are coming to the altar of God with tears with weeping and crying, and all of a sudden he's not, this offering that we're bringing to God, he's not considering it. And verse 14, it tells you why. So it's, yet you say, for what reason? And then he answers, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Two parts that I want to get into this verse is the reason why God wasn't receiving that person's petition, wasn't answering that person's prayer, was because it was a man and he wasn't treating his wife like he should have. When we as men don't do our jobs and don't do what God called us to do with respect to our women, and our wives, better said, then sometimes our prayers aren't heard. And it's not that God is asleep, it's not that God went on vacation, it's not that God hates you, it's you're closing the door for God's blessing when you don't do what God tells you to do with respect to your wives. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. And the second thing that it says here, it says, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That word covenant has been lost in our contemporary age. We, we don't understand what is a covenant according to God. But it's a biblical description of marriage through the entire Bible. So let's get into that a little bit. Pastor, what, what's a covenant? Well, for most people, covenant is just a contractual agreement. Just an agreement where I do my part and you do your part. 
And that's true, but it doesn't stop there. A covenant, pay attention, is a spiritually binding relationship between God and his people, inclusive of certain agreements, conditions, benefits, and effects. Usually it's God that originates a covenant, whereas sometimes we can originate a covenant as well. But the covenant speaks to responsibilities on both sides, but it also has conditions of blessing, of amazingness, of enjoyment, of pleasure. How many say amen? amen? And speaking about the marriage covenant, it has all those things. It has, it's amazing if you do things the right way, but we have to do things God's way. And that's why I thought it was very important to establish in this, in this series, and we talk about it every single week when we begin the teaching that everything works with respect to relationships as long as we do it God's way. How many say amen? amen. So whenever God wants to formalize his relationship with his people or his children, he would establish what? A covenant. You guys have heard about the Abrahamic covenant, right? The covenant of Abraham. We are under that covenant as people of faith. God also established the Davidic covenant. He's declared that he was going to bless all his household and all his descendants because he had a heart that was forming to God. We heard about the Davidic covenant. We heard about the Mosaic covenant. So there's a lot of covenants that God has entered and created. And it's his way of being able to relate with his people. Well, the marriage covenant is the same thing. And there are three fundamental facets that make up a covenant. And I want to use the rest of my time to speak about this. These three fundamental facets that make up the covenant are transcendence, if you guys want to write it down for those that are taking notes, hierarchy, and ethics. I feel like a professor giving a lecture. <laughs> three fundamental facets that make up a covenant, but it's important that you guys understand. This is the, this is the, the backbone of what it is, a marriage covenant. Transcendence, hierarchy, and ethics. So pay attention. If you can apply these truths, to your life or in your life, you will have a God-centered perspective on marriage that can impact not just your marriage, but future generations, your children, the children of your children, etc., and etc. Amen? So I titled today's message, The Three O's of Marriage. I'm going to talk about the origin, I'm going to talk about the order, and I'm going to talk about the operation. Okay? Origin, order, and operation. Now I'm going to start with transcendence. Transcendence is the first of the O's, and this talks about the origin of marriage. Everybody say the origin of marriage. Okay. In order for a covenant to work, carrying with it both the benefits and security that it supplies, it has to be set up according to God's expectations and regulations. If you want marriage to work for you in the future, you need to understand you need to do things according to God's way. If you don't, I'm telling you from now, Man, it's going to be rocky. It's going to be difficult. Because God is the creator of marriage. So if you want it to work, we have to do it according to God's expectations and God's regulation. You see, I want to share with you, and I'm going to give you a verse right now, but before, let me make this statement. Before God gave man a wife, he gave him a calling. Okay? Before God gave Adam Eve, he first gave him a calling, and I want to prove it to you. Genesis 1.26. Back in the old days, you know some people wouldn't ordain pastors unless they were married back in the old times. Or they wouldn't even let people assume ministry, even as a youth pastor or as a youth leader or anything. 
unless they were married. But Genesis 1.26 says this. Everybody there with me? God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Dominion means to rule. So here comes the calling. We're going to make man and we're going to give him dominion. That's what a man was created to do, to rule. Over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So everybody say, God gave man dominion, and that dominion was to rule. That was man's calling. Now in Genesis chapter 2, if you turn your page, verse 8 and 9, and then we're going to jump to 15. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. He got Adam, and he put him right in that garden that he planted. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So Eve wasn't even in the picture. And God had already told man to govern, to rule. And he also put man in the garden of Eden, and he told him, Hey, you're going to be a farmer. All right? You're going to tend to the garden, and you're going to keep it. So God planted this garden. He made man. He gave him a calling to rule. And God delegated and gave man freedom to rule. Amen? And that's where he messed up. So when God creates a helpmate suitable to him, and what was her name? Come on, everybody. What was this, her name? Eve. Eve. All right. I know this is a teaching, but I want you guys to participate. Help me out here. He didn't give Eve so she could iron his clothes. All right? She was a helpmate. She was a helper. But what, what kind of help? They, he didn't even have clothes. It wasn't so she could, you know, probably clean the coconuts where he used to drink water. No. That wasn't what she was created for. It wasn't so she could wake him up to go to work as an alarm, you know, so he could go and name all the animals and all the species of the world. God gave Eve to Adam so that he could have someone to collaborate with in achieving the goal for which he had been created, which is what? To have dominion, which is to rule. So you understand, some people want a wife just to be able, oh no, I, I need her to just to help me, you know, clean my stuff and just, no, you, you're missing it, man. If you're just looking for a wife to help you iron your clothes before you got to work and do all these superficial things, you're missing the idea of marriage and why God even, you see, you can't even, you could never as a guy fulfill your purpose unless you allow the gifts that God has given your wife to complement your gifts and together be able to do what God called you to do. That's the true purpose. So helper here, when God creates helper, that's what he called Eve, right? Helper can best be explained as someone who is able to collaborate in order to fulfill a purpose. That's what a helper is. There's one purpose, right? Created to rule, to have dominion. That's one purpose. And, and you can't do it on your own. So God creates this helper to be able to complement you, to be able to focus and be able to achieve that purpose. How many say amen? amen? I thank God for my wife because without her, I can't preach as well as I could. I can't, we can't, better said, we can't accomplish what God called us as a family unit to accomplish. She needs me, and I need her. How many say amen? amen? Can we give God praise for that? So, 
Adam cannot rule completely without Eve, only partially. Jonathan cannot pastor efficiently and completely without Carla, only partially. So guys, a woman's presence is not ornamental, but vital in furthering the opportunity for dominion. I need my wife to be able to accomplish what God told me to rule over, amen? And God has created us and given us a vision, guys, you know, God speaks to our hearts, speaks to our lives. There's ministry inside of us. There's a purpose inside of us. But you know what? We can't do it on our own. We could start it. Am I right? Adam got the calling before Eve was there. And he started doing He started tending the garden. He started naming. But he realized, God realized that he couldn't do it on his own. Created Eve. And now Eve's going to help you do and further the calling that God placed on your life. So that was number one, transcendence, the origin of marriage. Let me move along now to the second point. Everybody say hierarchy. hierarchy. Now we're going to talk about the order of marriage. And I have a, a slide that I asked. This is hierarchy for you guys that don't know this. If you guys see like a corporation, right, the hierarchy of a corporation, you have the CEO, you have the president, then you have uh, the CFO, you have the COO, and, and all that. And, and, and it trickles on down to the normal, everyday workers. So God has a hierarchy also with respect to how things work in the kingdom. A couple of years ago, I had a situation where I left my car, I took it to get an oil change, and they called me while I was getting an oil change, and they told me that my rear tires were wearing unusually. It wasn't just the normal wear and tear. Apparently my car, and I didn't know this, was not aligned. So this caused my my tires to start wearing on the inside of them. And so the first thing I told the guy, I'm like, well, so what, I'm gonna need new tires, right? And he told me something interesting. He said, well, if you get new tires, that doesn't fix the problem. You'll get new tires, but it's gonna continue doing the same thing. You gotta fix the problem because you have an alignment problem. So the visible problem, the fact that my tires were being worn was not the real problem. The tires didn't cause their own wear. It was caused by something else. And that something else was the fact that the car was not aligned properly. And because things were not aligned properly, there was unnecessary wear and tear on my tires. And in the future, if I didn't address it, it was going to keep me from getting from point A to point B. Anybody ever had an alignment problem on their cars? We look around at our marriages and families today, and you'll realize that there's a lot of wear and tear on the family and on marriage relationships. There's a lot of wear and tear on women who are being abused, neglected, negatively affected. There's also wear and tear on the children who are being indulged or sometimes even forgotten. There's no time for the children. There's a lot of wear and tear on men who are being usurped or disrespected of the honor that they deserve. So hierarchy, like we just been showing at the beginning, was a chain of command. It's an order of function within a particular alignment. That's what hierarchy is. And like automobiles that need to be properly aligned, like in the case of when I took my car, covenants only work when they function in God's ordained order. I'm going to say that again. Covenants. And we're talking about what covenant today? Marriage. Marriage. Covenants only function when they are in God's ordained order. If you move the order of the covenant, it's not going to be well. You're not going to be able to reap the benefits of the covenant. If you try to do things your way, you can enter the covenant, but do things your way, you know, you're not going to reap the benefits of it. And then you're going to blame God saying, this doesn't work. And that's not the case. 
The same wear and tear that showed up in my tires shows up in our marriages and families when couples ignore this vital component of the covenant. Before Eve was created, God told Adam that he may eat from every tree in the garden except for which tree? Okay, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you follow close, closely what we just finished reading in Genesis, we read that God, everything he did, every tree that he planted was good in the sight and it was good to eat. So God gave him just one order. Make sure you do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a million trees. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say the number, but I can figure. I mean, the Garden of Eden was, must have been an amazing place. And people, there was only two human beings in the entire earth. They had more than enough food, okay? And plus Adam, I mean, he was created to the image of God. He was an eternal being. He was, I mean, I'm sure he was doing a good job of hiding and keeping the garden, you know, great. So God tells him, look, you can eat out of all these trees, but don't mess with this one tree. He gave him an instruction. Now, when God created Eve, it was Adam's responsibility to pass on God's instructions, because this was something that God told Adam, and I'm sure that Adam at some point sat down and had a conversation with Eve, and maybe it went something like this, and when, you know Eve, God spoke to me before he even created you, and he told us, look, this is a, this is a beautiful place, it's, we can mess and eat from all of these trees, but there is one that we cannot eat, and that tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the devil showed up a little bit later and something happened. He went to talk to somebody and it wasn't Adam. Who did he talk to? Eve. Read with me Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning, he still is, than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, or in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor will you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So Eve considers everything the devil tells her. She's having a conversation here with the devil. God had told her not mess with that tree and the fruit of that tree. You can eat all the other trees. There's so many trees that you can eat of. Don't just obey God. But now she's having a conversation. And after she listens to, that's why sometimes we have to be careful what we listen to. After she listens to what the devil has to say, she looked and, man, indeed, it's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It looks so desirable. It, it's going to make me wiser. So she makes a deliberate decision based on an emotional response. And then she gives it to her hubby so that he can partake. Now I'm going to ask you guys a question. Where was Adam in all this? I always thought that Adam was probably in the depths of the ocean. You know, giving names to the Nautilus and the beluga whale and, I don't know, some, some animals way down there. But looking carefully, I realized that he was right there the whole time. While she's having this conversation with the devil, 
He is there listening to everything that's going on. And I'll prove it to you. The last verse that we read at the bottom of verse 6, it says, She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. So Adam the whole time was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, listen to the... He was in part of the conversation. He didn't say anything, which he should have, because God called him to what? To rule and to have dominion and to obey God and to lead his wife away from things that are going to... But he didn't say one thing. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Eve, in that moment, she became the spiritual leader between the two. And Adam had become a passive responder. Reversal. We're talking about hierarchy now, okay? Follow me, guys. And we'll get to the, we'll get to the slide now in just a little bit. But we're talking about hierarchy and what God established. So now, all of a sudden, Adam didn't assume his role as a spiritual leader. And should have stepped up and said, you know what God told us not to do is we're not having this conversation. See ya. But he stood there like a passerby, just listening. And she, Eve, became the spiritual leader in all this. So the roles got reversed and all hell broke loose. So what's happening today in our society? Because that happened a long time ago. But today we have a generation of flipped roles, dominant women, and passive men who are not following the biblical mandate of alignment. If I would have never aligned my car when they gave me that warning, you know, it was just a matter of time when my car was going to get so wobbly that it was either going to lead me to an accident or cause me to hurt other people. Am I right? And the same is true with marriage. When a marriage is disaligned or it's not aligned, I don't know if I just made up that word, disaligned. When a marriage is not aligned, it's just a matter of time when that marriage is going to come crashing down. Adam said nothing while he listened to the snakes move, talk his wife into a monumental decision. And I will say this, some women have had no choice to be able to stand up and be the spiritual leaders in their homes. And I, I thank God for that. Because where there is an absence of men, I thank God that there's women that will stand up. And we see sometimes single mothers that are the spiritual leaders. They take the role of the father and the mother. God bless them. But if you are married and you have your husband and he's not being the spiritual leader that God has called him to be, what I advise you to do, start praying. Father, change his heart. Let him understand your purpose and the calling. Father, maybe he's not being the leader that you've called him to be, but I believe that he can change your heart. You can open his eyes so that he can take up on the role that you've called him to be so that our family can function and move and we can leave a descendants and an example for our children. So let's go to what God's order for a marriage is. How, how can I make sure that my marriage, for those that are married now, or for those that are looking forward to getting married soon, I know we have a few important couples that are dating, and you know, some, I know some of you guys are, there's at least one couple that's getting married soon, and some of you guys maybe years down the road, you're you know, planning on it. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three says. But I want you to know, that the head of every man is Christ. Who is it? Christ. Okay. R raise your hand if you're a man. The head of every man is Christ. Jesus. And then it says, the head of woman is what? Is man. And the head of Christ is who? God. It's God. So let's go to the 
the slide. This is the hierarchy, the way God created it. I know it's a tacky slide, but it's the only one I could find with the little time that I had. Thank you, Google. All right. So this is the hierarchy. God. He is above all. He was that in the other slide that we showed, the little red man all the way in the top. God. He's the creator. He's the author. He's our... He is the head over Christ, which is Jesus. Right? He is the head over Jesus. Now, to this day, that step of the process is still intact. When Jesus came, you'll see it over and over. And he's God. Jesus is God. The Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, but all three of them are God. The Trinity. You know about that. But despite being God, he submitted himself to the Father. And when he came, he did the will of the Father. Or not. We see so many times that it says, not my will, but my Father's will. I'm not going to speak one single word if it's not a word given to me by my Father. We see total submit, just an incredible submission from Jesus Christ towards the Father. Where it all breaks loose is man's submission to Jesus. And that's where the whole thing comes crashing down. So this is what God established in the covenant of marriage for it to work. You see, Jesus has to be submitted to God, which he is, and he has always been. But man has to be submitted to Jesus, and woman has to be submitted to man. This is the way God created. If you have a problem with that, you can take it on with my boss. <laughs> now, it doesn't say that men are above all women. That's not what the verse said. It says, and I want to point it out, but it says it's all women. So this arrangement does not apply to work environments, you know, there's that whole equality, you know, and it's not talking about that men are superior to women, and they should, no, 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 like, it's talking about in a marriage relationship, in a marriage covenant, the woman should be, must be submitted to her man, to her husband. So when anyone gets out of this order, Satan has an opportunity to create chaos. All right, whether it be the woman, whether it be the man, just chaos. If Jesus remains submitted to the Father's will, how much more are you and I? He was God, and he still remained faithful. So, like I said, we don't have a problem in the first step of the hierarchy. Jesus said, not my will, but yours. We see it time and time again in the Bible that he was submitted to the Father. Where we start seeing a problem is in the second step. A man that submits to Christ is the definition of a kingdom man. A kingdom man is a man who has learned to operate under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right there. That's a kingdom man. A person that has the kingdom in his heart. And he wants to follow Jesus no matter the cost. That's the definition of a kingdom man. And I've had a lot of husbands sometimes come for counseling and they tell me, well, pastor, she's not submitting to me. It gets funny, some of these uh, counseling sessions. I've seen couples that 40 years of marriage, 30 years of marriage, they're like kids. It's like they're playing tag right there in counseling. If the man is not submitting to his rightful authority, which is who? Jesus. Then what he is seeing in his wife is a reflection of his own disorder. Most of the time, it's not all the time, but most of the time that the woman is not submitting to the man is because the man is not submitting to Jesus. You can't, you can't tell your woman to submit to you if you're not submitting to Jesus. Yeah. Try you, as a man, submitting to Jesus, and you'll see how your wife 
will lovingly submit to you. So let's talk a little bit about this word submission. We don't like it because it's confrontational. It's like uh, submissive. We're in the 21st century. Submission is not a negative force to subject someone to an inferior status. That's not what submission is about. Say this out loud. Equal value, different functions. That's what submission is. Equal value. My wife, according to the Bible and how God created marriage to be, she needs to submit to me. But she's not lesser than me. Equal value, different functions. I bring something else to the table. But she brings something that I cannot, I cannot rule and accomplish what God put in my heart and what God called me to. Without her, I need her. So we're both equal in value. God paid the price and he sent his son Jesus Christ for men and for women. He didn't give 60% of his blood for men and 40% of his blood for women. Nothing, nothing like that. Equal value, but our functions are different. So submission is a positive force to accomplish good. It's Carly coming and putting of her part and me putting of my part. And combined, we're going to rule and we're going to conquer and we're going to do and fulfill the calling that God has for our lives. And that is the case for every single couple. How many say amen? amen. The Greek word... Hupotasso. I don't know why I got a mental picture of a hippo. <laughs> Hupotasso means to place oneself under the authority of another. It's not somebody forcing you to submit. It's placing yourself. First, as a man, I am going to place myself under the authority of Christ. What does God, I'm not going to make a move that Christ says I shouldn't make. I am a son of God and I want to follow in his ways that it's placing yourself. Nobody's forcing you to do it. Nobody's ordaining you and you have to. No, no, no. I submit myself. I place myself under the authority of another. And the same way the man places himself under the authority of Christ, if that man is under the authority of Christ, man, that, that home is going to be amazing. He's going to be passing on to the wife and to the family all the things that Jesus promised he's going to be submitted to God. And God, all he wants to do is bless us. He's, he's into seeing us happy. God the Father, which is the totem pole all the way in the top of this hierarchy, he wants everything to work out. That's why he created marriage. So he's going to see that the man is under submission to Christ. And the woman is going to see there's no other or there's no better place for me to be than submitted to my husband because that's where everything's going to flow. How many say amen? Come on, put your hands together. I know this is not a shout type of preaching, but give God praise for that. Exodus chapter 34, verse 23 through 24. Exodus 34, verse 23 and 24. This is the Old Testament. I want you to pay attention to what God requested for the men. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord our God three times in a year. So three times a year, God called the people of Israel, the men, specifically the men, to go into this retreat. And they had to literally leave the land. Now, from a military and defense perspective, this didn't make much sense. Because these people were going to go seek God and all of a sudden, the women and the children are going to be left alone. That could create a problem. 
from a commerce and agricultural perspective, it was unthinkable as well. Who's going to do the work? Well, we're not going to work during this retreat that God all of a sudden wants these people to have. And who's going to pick up the land? Who's going to pick up the harvest? How are we going to survive? It doesn't sound like a good national strategy. But pay attention to this. God said, if you do this, if you submit to my request, I know it may seem crazy, but if you do this, I will cast out the nations before them, and I will enlarge your borders, and no man will covet your land. So God is calling men to submit to what God was requiring, but in doing so, you have to trust God. You couldn't think rationally and say, God, yeah, yeah, but yeah, what about the women? What about our enemies come and we burn up? You know, the land and what's going to happen with the harvest? Who's going to work the land? No, no, no. You do what I called you to do. You obey me, and I will make sure that the nations that will rise up against you, I will cast them out. Don't worry. That's my problem. You seek me, and you submit to what I say, and I will take care of your enemies for you. I will enlarge your borders. So not only is there protection, but there's growth. There's expansion. How many say Amen. There's multiplication. You see, in the marriage, it's the same thing. When we submit to God, the man, and then the woman submits to the man, man, you start conquering, you start ruling, you start possessing, you start being blessed financially to become a blessing to others. You start seeing God's glory. So God was saying, if you simply align, we're talking about aligning, right? The example of my car member, if you align yourself underneath my authority, then I got your back. I got your back. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your family. I'll take care of your marriage. The same thing happens in a marriage when a man submits to Christ and a wife to her husband. But let me recap so far. We learned that God is both the creator and designer of the marriage covenant. Amen? He is transcendent over the union. He also set in place a hierarchy, a chain of command for functionality within the relationship. And now this brings me to my last point, ethics. Everybody say ethics. And I want to use this last part of the preaching to talk about the operation of marriage, how it works. And I don't have time to do everything. I mean, time has advanced, and I don't want to take advantage. Uh, I know we have a finals game. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I will never close things short just for something like that. Just a joke. But I want to talk to you about rules. This is so broad, rules, sanctions, and continuity, but I just want to talk a little bit about rules. If you were to come to my house, I would welcome you inside, but there would be a set of rules that you have to abide by. I have a rule in my house. For example, if you smoke, I don't allow smoking in my house. So if you would come to my house and you were a smoker, I would ask for you to put your cigarette out before coming into my house. Why? Because of my house and I can do whatever I want. If I go to your house and you invite me, you have your own rules because that is your house. Am I right? Yes. And I, being that I'm not a part of that home, I'm not the owner of that home, I have to abide by your rules. Well, marriage is God's house. Yeah. It was his idea and it can only run well under his rule. So now we're getting into the operation. We're married and how to operate in marriage. It has to run under God's rule. What married couples often want to do is to have God's institution of marriage, but run it by their own rules. And they want to get married in the church so that, you know, God will bless their union, God will bless their marriage, but then they want to leave God stranded in the altar. 
You guys have heard of the runaway bride, right? I call this the runaway couple. I've seen people that I've married, the, I think it was the first couple I've ever married, saw them that one time, never seen them again. Not even a postcard, man. <laughs> gone. They, just, they would come to church on Sundays and just, just gone. So we come and we want the blessing of God. God, it's such, a, such amazing. Bless, bless my marriage. Bless my marriage. But then we run and we leave God stranded in the altar. And we want to do things our own way. And no wonder sometimes marriages go wrong. I want you to write this down if you can. If you have something to write it down and just take notes on your phone. You don't get God's blessings in your marriage and home without following his instructions. Yeah. It's not cute. It doesn't rhyme. But it's going to help you. Yeah. You don't get God's blessings in your marriage and home without following his instructions. You don't enjoy, you don't get to enjoy God's, I call them the three P's, provision, protection, and peace in your relationships without abiding by God's policies. Yeah. That's the reason. Keep in mind, he designed it. Yeah. He knows how it works. And he tells you, this is what you got to do for it to be blissful, amazing, so you can have peace, prosperity, provision. This, this is what you got to do. So if we're wise, we're going to make sure that we do everything in our power to be able to align ourselves with what God says. You can spend eight hours arguing with your spouse and still never resolve the issue. Or you can follow God's rules and the discussion will be over in just a matter of minutes and both parties will be equally satisfied. But you get to decide. If you have a chance to, or if you're getting ready to install a bicycle and you think you know it all, like some of, some of the men, we think that we don't need instructions, you can start trying to build that bicycle. And after eight hours, all you have built was probably the handlebar. You realize, man, maybe I should look into the instructions. It's not because you're dumb. It's because there's somebody that knows more about bicycles than you do. And he's the one who designed it. And he created a manual. And the same thing applies with marriage. Sometimes we try to do things on our own and we think that we can do it. And it's, we hit ourselves against the wall. And after trying so hard, and that's when we go to the Word of God and say, Oh, no wonder. I wasn't forgiving. I wasn't doing this. So quickly. Pastor, what are the rules for a successful marriage? You guys ready? You want to hear? Okay, there are only two. Very easy. One for the guys, one for the girls. Easy. Everybody say easy. easy. Come on, God couldn't make it any easier than that. Two rules. Go with me to Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let me talk to the men a little bit here as I finish up. All right? Where are the men? Can you shout? Can the men shout a little bit? You see, in this society, we use the word love so loosely. We say things like, I love chocolate. <laughs> we say things like, I love the Miami Dolphins. I love... Um, I love lasagna. <laughs> but what you really mean is that you like or you enjoy these things. Am I right? Yeah. The definition of love is much deeper than what we feel emotionally attached to. Mm -hmm. Love is to passionately and righteously pursue the well-being of another. Wow. That's if it helps you write it down. 
Love is a passionately, all right? Passionately and righteously, the right way. Pursue not your well-being, the well-being of other, of another person. When I say I'm in love with Carla, I need to make sure and analyze myself that I'm passionately and righteously pursuing making her happy, not me. If you're getting into marriage, if you're getting into a relationship just to make yourself happy, don't even try. It's gonna, you're going to end up with a heartbreak and all the roles are diverse and it's going to be chaos. Because love, and don't let, we can't let society define what love is. This is, this is the creator. The Bible says that God is love. So if somebody knows about love, is the creator, hello? Yeah. So God says love is to passionately, righteously pursue the well-being of another. God is love. So guys, we shouldn't get our clues on how to love our wives from Netflix, from friends, from culture, but from who? From God. God, how should I love my wife? All right, I'll tell you. Or God will tell you. Ephesians 5, 25 to 31. Go with me quickly. I'm finishing up here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her. God loved the church. The church is us. You and me. He loved us so much that he gave himself. Kill me. Put me nail me on that nasty cross. And, and, and nail me, and, and I'll bleed to death because I love her that much. Was that passionate? Was that righteous? Yes. And God is telling us, guys, if we're, if we're even thinking about getting into a relationship, and even more to get married, I need to love my wife to be able to be willing to give it all for her. That's, that's passion. See, it's passion. God is a romantic. We talked about this last week. That he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present to him, present her, sorry, to him a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 28 speaks to the husbands again. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Guys, how many of you guys love your own bodies? Yeah, your own life? You should say yes. <laughs> well, you're here, you're alive, and you can like yourself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but we nourish it, right? We cherish our flesh. We fed, how many of you guys had lunch? Right? We got hungry. We, we took care of ourselves. We ate. You guys got dressed today. None of you guys are here naked, thank God. Right? We clothed ourselves. We did all this because we take care of ourselves. Just as the Lord does for the church. So look what 30 says. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason. Everybody say for this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother. Thank you, God, for that. <laughs> and be joined to his... Be weird. Well, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So you get married. God sees you and her, one person. God sees Jonathan and Carla. We're one unit. We're no longer... There's something mysterious, there's something uh, beautiful about the unity of a couple when they get married and they consummate, they consummate that relationship in, in the honeymoon bed, right? And they have sex for the first time and that's the way God intended it to be. Now God sees you and you're not two people, you're one. We're not Jonathan and Carla, we're the Agueros, like we said last week, right? 
So Christ loved the church so much that he, I have three things that I want to talk about. And I'm talking to the guys still, okay? God loved the church so much that he saved her. Everybody say he saved her. Guys, saving means sacrifice. Sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Just the guys. Guys. Men, your wife will know you love her by the things that you are willing to give up to satisfy her needs. I sacrificed when I got married the left side of the bed. And because I sowed in the bed, I reaped in the bed. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that, but. <laughs> but there were things I had to give up. I was so used to doing things on my own. I love I the left side of the bed, but we had a discussion about this. Was it in the honeymoon? Or on our way to the honeymoon? We had it somewhere along the line. And we both liked the left side of the bed. But I sewed. So sacrifice, when you, especially guys, especially the things that you like, if you're not willing to budge and you want her to do everything that you want and for her to accommodate to you, you're not sacrificing. There's no sacrifice in that. Jesus sacrificed for the church. He gave himself up. He said, this is not convenient for me. I don't want to die. Get somebody. You know, if I can get out of this, please, Lord, take it away. But he went and he did it. He sacrificed. So guys, if you're building up a relationship and you're not willing to sacrifice, you know, and you're not just wanting to make her happy, and sometimes, you know, there's that last piece of meat, and she's like, oh, babe, I want it. I'm still hungry. And you save the best for last. And it's like, Psh. the Lord has had to deal with me in that area. <laughs> but <laughs> he's still working. <laughs> Yes, I need to sacrifice more, perhaps. But true love sacrifices. How many say amen? Not only did God sacrifice, or Jesus sacrificed himself for the church, he also sanctified her. Sacrifice? He sanctified her now. Sanctification is to take something from where it is and to turn it into what it ought to be. So now I get married, and through this marriage, marital union, you see... For her to be complete, she needed God. But in order to rule and govern, which is what God created us men to do, we needed her. So when Carla unites with Jonathan and we become one couple, now, now we have what it takes to accomplish what God has created us. I couldn't have done it on my own. She couldn't have done it on her own. But now... You know, sanctification is to take someone or something from where it is and to turn it into what it ought to be. I couldn't reach my full potential until I married Carla. And now as a married couple, we come together. She brings what she has to the table. I bring what I have. And as a unit, we conquer. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And we accomplish things. Not only did he save her, not only did he sanctify her, he satisfied her. Jesus satisfied the church. What is satisfying? Value your wife in the same degree you value yourself. The Bible says, let me just finish reading. Value your wife like you value yourself. Nobody's ever done harm to your body. We protect, we, we fed our bodies. Remember we talked about that? We fed our bodies, we clothed ourselves. You know, we like to, man, you know what? Satisfy her in the same degree that you value yourself. Her opinions matter. Guys, 
Any amens out there? Her opinions matter. Her thoughts matter. Yes, man, you are the head. We make the final decision. But her viewpoint must be fully heard and valued before making that decision. You can't just say, I'm going to do this. I've gotten in trouble for doing that. There's been cases, yeah, I, I live, I learn, all right? Some cases at the beginning that I was so used to, I was, I got married when I was 20 and I was used to making decisions and I would go and, and I, oh, by the way, Carly, I told my parents that we're gonna do this. She's like, what? And you didn't run it by me? And, you know, we've gotten into problems because of that. But I've learned that we share things because we're a unit. And her opinion matters. I know that Carly's the type of person that I, you see, Carly doesn't like surprises. I can't surprise her with, with like a vacation. She needs to know where we're going. She needs to be, she needs to prove it. Am I right? Because she wants to be in the booking process, she says. Because that's the way she is. So I know I wouldn't go ahead and just surprise her. I'd like to sometimes, but she just likes to know because she's, you know, she likes to be involved in the process. She enjoys the process. So I understand that and I, and I let her and I make her involved and I get her involved in the process. So you will become your wife's satisfier she will respond to the way you want her to because she feels cherished and valued. If I satisfy her, then she'll respond. She'll be, she'll be satisfied. I heard somebody say this. The man is a thermostat of the marriage and the wife is a thermometer. <laughs> you know what the thermostat is, right? I have a nest at home. I love those things. I can control, I can turn on my AC from my app. When I go home, I can, I can move it and I change the level of my AC. Well, the man, you're the one that moves it. And she's a thermometer. I heard somebody say, Pastor, my wife is cold as ice. <laughs> well, then warm her up and watch her melt. Ice only stays ice in a cold environment. Yeah. So if you warm her up, things will change. Don't expect a summer wife if you bring home winter weather. <laughs> All right, women, women. I gotta get to the women, I gotta hurry up. Okay. While it starts with a man. Wives, listen up. You need to understand that a bad wife can ruin a good husband. A bad wife can ruin a good husband. What's a bad wife? I'll tell you. Not a woman that does not love her husband. It's a woman that does not respect her husband. And let me go back to the verse that we just finished reading. We, we said that there's only two rules. One for the guys and one for the girls. Alright? God said this. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. We already talked about this. We spent like 15 minutes or 10 minutes talking about the guys, how we should love our wives, right? God saved her, sanctified her. We talked about all that and satisfied her. But now it's us to the women, and the wife must respect her husband. So must, I don't know about you, but must is a command, or no? To me, I read must, and it's, I gotta do it. It's a command. For the covenant to work, I need to make sure that as a woman, well, not me, but you, ladies, respect your husbands. Just like men need to make sure that they love their wives. My role as a husband, I need to love her, love my wife. Her job is to respect me. It's interesting that God does not tell a woman here to love her husband. And there's a reason for that. Men's needs are not the same thing as women's needs. What a woman is commanded to do as a rule of marriage is to respect her husband. Ladies, your husband doesn't need you to love him as much as he needs you to respect him. What is respect? Well, respect is to hold in high esteem and honor. 
What a woman needs from a man is located in her heart. What a man needs from a woman is located in his head. And we call this, what? Ego. <laughs> You're like, ego? Yeah, ego. I've heard women say this in occasions. I'm not going to feed your ego. But that is sort of like him saying to his wife, I'm not going to feed your heart. Because our desires or what we need, our needs are totally different. Men long to have their egos fed. Maybe this, uh, this is just like a new revelation to some of the ladies. This will help you. Men, we were created for that. We love to, for women to, you know, boost our egos. And the person to do it should be your wife. If your wife doesn't do it, then you know what? He's going to look for it somewhere else. And that's just a whole another preaching. Maybe Carly can touch on that next week. A wife is able to feed a man's ego in a legitimate manner. There's a, there's a way of doing it that's disordered. But if she does it in a legitimate manner, she will respect him and she will honor him. I'm going to say amen. There's nothing more dangerous in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, than disrespect. Disrespect will bring down the walls of a relationship and just mess it all up. When a man does not feel he is respected, one of three things will happen. Number one, he'll either rebel against the woman, right? You see a lot of divorce caused by this. You know, you could, maybe it's because of financial purposes or this, but in the end, it could have been because of disrespect. It could have been the root of the problem. Number two, if he doesn't rebel against the woman, he will remove herself from her. He's there, but he's not there. And number three, he'll become passive. Interesting that Adam became passive. I don't know if something, some disrespect went on between Adam and Eve. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. But these three things happen when a man feels disrespected. He'll rebel against the woman, he'll remove himself from her, or he'll become passive. There's an old story of Winston Churchill and Lady Astor in the British Parliament. This is a true, true story. These two hated each other, by the way. And one day Lady Astor asked or said to Winston Churchill, Winston, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. <laughs> and Winston replied, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> I don't see much future for that couple if they would have even started. And now I want to finish. If somebody could help me with the keys, I need to, I need to wrap this up. I spoke to the ladies, I spoke to the guys a little bit. And I want to finish off with this. In the Old Testament, guys, covenants, in Old Testament covenants, obedience always brought blessing. In every covenant, every, when we talk about the Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, every single covenant, when you obey and do things God's way, which is what we're talking about now, blessing always follows. And the marriage covenant is no exception. If we do things God's way, if as husbands we respect our wives, if as wives you guys respect, or you guys love your husbands and do things the way God established, blessing will always follow. Can you declare that with me? Raise your right hand and say, blessing always follows obedience. If a policeman stops you in the street, and you think he's wrong, he stopped you un unjustly, you weren't speeding, you weren't doing this, but he stops you. Are you going to go off on him and get off of your car and say, you're crazy, you fool, you're Would you do that? 
No, because you probably get locked up, right? And arrested, and then things will escalate and get worse. Why? But why wouldn't you do that? Well, because you are respecting his authority. Sometimes we don't realize women that God says submit to your husband, and submitting means honoring them, respecting them. Sometimes we make mistakes. Husbands, guys, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. You know, sometimes we're submitted to Christ, but uh, every once in a while we take put a toenail out, or you know, we get unsubmitted for a split second or something, and we do something. But you know what? A true woman, instead of going crazy, you know, would just pray. You know what? What do you do? If the cop stops you and he did something, take him to court. Take him to court. And you go and you resolve the situation in a matter that is not crazy, that's not gonna, you know, make things worse. Whether your husband has earned or deserved your respect is besides the point. God has commanded wives to respect their husbands by virtue of their position. Their position is they are the head of the wife. Now, obviously, if the husband tells the woman to do something that is against God's word, that's totally different. That's where you stop it. But the Bible says that as women, they need to be submitted and honor and respect their husbands. Just to sum it all up, there's only two rules in the marital covenant, but those rules can either produce life or bring about an early death in the relationship. Death in harmony, death in purpose, death in productivity, and especially death in years of dominion, blessing, and continuity. God today is looking for husbands or future husbands, in the case of those that are single, to see how he displays his love for his wife through his actions. God looks for that. Talk to me about your actions, because sometimes words are cheap. Talk to me about your actions. How are you showing that you love your wife like Christ loved the church? And God, at the same time, is looking for wives to see how they respect their husband as the head of the household. And the reason why God is looking at both the husband and the wife is because he's going to respond to you based on your actions. And I go back, as I do the call, I go back to what we read at the beginning in Malachi chapter 2. Tears at the altar, giving an offering to God, and God's not accepting them, and they are asking, why are you not accepting? And God tells them, because the Lord has been witness. You see, God sees. Everybody say, God sees. The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, which whom you have dealt didn't love his wife as he was supposed to. She didn't respect him as they were supposed to. And because of that, the heavens closed. And we have so many problems now in marriage and relationships. And maybe that's what's keeping God from blessing us the way he wants us, from, from using us to rule and to govern the way he wants us. Stand on your feet, JTP Church. And what I want to do today I'm going to ask everybody, everybody to come to the altar and I just want to pray because I know there's married couples here and I know there's single people here and I just want to, just want to pray over you. Whether you're married, whether you're single, I just want to declare a word of God and I pray that for the single people, you would use this, you know, to be able to 
Build your future. Build what God has for you today tomorrow. Maybe you're not even thinking about getting married or not even thinking about dating right now. You're focused on school. You're focused on others. But the day will come. And you know what? This is going to help you. This is going to help you. When the time comes, you're going to remember this. You're going to say, man, if I want this to be good and lasting and blissful, like God intended, if I want to receive all the blessings of it, then I have to do things God's way. And you know what? God's going to give you the strength to do it. To do things the right way. And sometimes it's not, it's not easy. Sometimes you got to put your pride aside and say, wow, the left side of the bed, I loved it. Recently, I saved the gospel up. I'm gonna give it to you. I have to respect him. He gets on my nerves sometimes. I'll just take it in silence and pray to God and give the situation to God. And sometimes it's not easy. It's, it takes it takes sacrifice. Amen. Take sacrifice. Make it work. But in obedience comes blessing. When I do things right, God says marriage works. You do your part of the agreement, and that's what a covenant, covenant is an agreement. You do your part God's way, and God will do his part. You can never achieve God's part on your own by, by going and establishing your own rules. But if you do things God's way, God will make sure that he does his part, and he'll bless you, and he'll prosper you, and you, you two will grow together in love. I see my parents, 42 years, and... and my mom came from the retreat. We were, we were right here in the morning service. We were having coffee in the middle between services. And my dad, my mom was there. He's like, I miss you so much. I need to get away. And I'm like, Dad, you, you just took her away two weeks ago. You guys left for, for three days. I don't even know where they went. I don't remember. Did you guys went? He's like, yeah, I know, but I miss her now. 42 years of marriage. You know, and I remember while I was still single, I was in my 20s, and I see my dad cornering my mom. Come on, Dad. <laughs> you need a room? You got plenty in the house. You got things in the kitchen. But kids see that, and they see that it's not a matter. It's not a matter of you know. Oh, I'm in love now, and then once I get married, it's just a whole ball and chain, as they say. No, no, no. If you do things the right way, it's gonna be amazing, and you're gonna fall even more in love because your love is not gonna be based on figure yet. Both are going to get probably, you're going to gain weight, maybe some guys are going to lose their hair. But true love is not about the physical appearance, right? True love goes beyond that. My barber said I'll never lose my hair, so baby. Uh, and you're not getting weight either, amen? But wrinkles come in and you can't, right? And then you start looking older, but you know what? True love is, goes beyond that. And it can be amazing. It's like fine wine, y'all. You know, that's better with time. That's what God intended marriage to be. Amen? Close your eyes right there with you. Father God, I thank you for all these amazing young people. They could be in so many places right now. And also the married couples. Father, the divorced couples. The people that want to start their life up over. God, and, and they're trying to do things right. God, you're with them. And you have to help them. You have the person prepared for every single person here. Every single person here in church, God, they could have been in South Beach. They could have been in so many places, but they wanted to be here to listen to what you have to say about doing things right and making sure we build correctly. And God, I pray that your grace will be with them. Give them the, the desire and give them the strength and determination to, to do things the right way, whether, whether it's 
a week from today or years or decades from today when they find that person. I pray that your guidance will always be with them. I pray that everything we've talked about today will be like a, a building block that's that's been engraved in their hearts, God. And in due time, when they're going to need it, it's gonna they're going to be able to pull it out, God, and do things the right way. We honor you. We thank you for speaking to us, for loving us so much, and for, God, giving us a person that we can share life with, God, and, and not have to put up with stuff, but to do it gladly. We love you, God, for that. We love you for loving us, God, and, and we see that marriage works because you love the church so much that you gave yourself for it, and we have a relationship with you as a church. So, God, we know that marriage has to work, and we love you for that. We declare and I prophesy over every single young person here, some of them that have you know, seeing marriages disintegrate. Some of them have seen a bad example from their parents because they didn't do things God's way. But God, we declare that every generational curse, every bad example is erased. God, and now by doing things your way, we're going to see your glory. We're going to see young people get married. God, have children. Just yes. and accomplish that desire and that purpose that you had for them, which is to rule, govern, and to be able to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. In Jesus' name we declare it. Amen. amen. And amen. Come on. Put your hands together.